Thank you very much. It's such an honor to be here with you this morning. You guys are rocking. Man, who needs to prep for worship when you can rock it like that, huh? Sound team, who needs time to set up your sound when you can rock it like that? You guys have just blown the roof. I love it. I, I just, if I can, I'm going to extend things, Pastor Lee, if, just for a moment. I, I just, before I talk a little bit about what I want to share this morning, I just was blown away with our American hero and our Aussie beauty. Uh, could, could I pray for you guys? Would that be possible? Could I ask you guys to come up here? Uh, fantastic. I'm Chris, by the way. Hi, good to meet you. Good to meet you. Lucy. Lucy. Michael, guys, I, I, I don't want to take too much time, but I, I just really felt just before you got up, Lucy, but Michael, just as you're leading the team in worship, just really sense that you had that gift to activate other people. And I think that is the most important gift of any leader. That I feel personally that the ministry of Jesus wasn't so much to come and do everything himself, but to activate people to do everything that he could do. Sent out the 12, sent out the 70, sent out the 72, activated people, and you've got that on you. And I just want to declare that you have songs of the house. If you're not already writing songs, which I have no doubt that you probably would be, that God wants to unlock that gift in you that you would give birth to songs that are for this house, that capture what God is doing here. And it's such a unique calling that Eastlake has. But I also wanted to pray for you guys because my wife and I know what it's like to contest for a baby. We had to fight four years for our son. We had multiple miscarriages. And could I just pray? Can we extend our hands to this amazing family? Right now, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the desire of their heart to have children. And I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would make a way even where others say there isn't a way. And I declare in Jesus' name from the top of their head to the tip of their toes, they are blessed, they are set apart, they are called. And right now I release the anointing, your grace and your ability for them to conceive, multiply, extend Give birth right now in Jesus' name. Children, not one, children, happy, healthy, and whole. There we go, in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. I love it. So, so good. I have been an admirer of East Lake from a distance for a number of years. Uh, my wife and I, Rhiannon, we relocated to Rockingham about five years ago. And before that, we were missionaries in Cambodia for six years. And uh, I know that, Eastlake, you have done a significant amount of work in the nation of Cambodia. Who here has been to Cambodia? My wife and I lived in Cambodia and we can speak like really good six-year-olds, but not much better than that. So basically, I just said, g'day, how you doing? But uh, one of the things that I really admire about you as a church is that you know how to put feet and hands to your faith. I, I see that about you. I, I got to see that in Cambodia. One of the things that my wife and I had the honour of starting in the church that we served in, a, a Cambodian church, New Life, New Life Fellowship Cambodia, was we were able to start a brand new ministry there. In our second year of being in Cambodia, when we're still trying to wrestle with the language, still trying to understand how things worked, we were asked to start a brand new ministry that was called, uh, in the language, Gam Saksa Dam Chodok Lam, which means Growing Trees Internship. And what we set up was basically a Bible school to train the next generation of church leaders in Cambodia. And we had the honour of doing this and making it up as we went. 
And we were into our second year in Cambodia. And by that time, the honeymoon had well and truly worn off. By that time, the smells were getting to us. By that time, the the inconvenience of blackouts for three or four hours was getting to us. By that time, we felt like the worst of the worst. And I remember when we started this internship for the first time, we were in a tiny room in this little church in the middle of Cambodia. Well, it was actually a large church, but a tiny room. And we could barely squeeze in 12 young Cambodians. We, we couldn't even fit seats in the room. We had to sit on the floor together. And I remember that we were having our very first guest minister come in and speak for the whole morning to our interns. And I was nervous. I was nervous because we were making things up as we went. And I remember that we had this chair set up and we had these drinks. We had Coca-Cola, which was a significant investment. And we welcomed in this guest speaker. And this guest speaker saw the chair, put the chair outside, sat down on the floor with the rest of the Cambodians and proceeded to unpack the love of God. And this guest minister that spoke for that morning couldn't talk about the love of God without breaking down and crying. And every young Cambodian had an encounter with the Father Heart of God because of what that guest minister brought in. And for me, who had been a year and a half on the mission field, starting to get dry and old and thinking, can we really do this? I just lapped it all up. And if this person who's been in ministry all this time can love you, Jesus, with all that heart, give that to me. And I think that moment changed me. And so I want to thank you, Eastlake Church, for sending over Pastor Aaron Edwards to minister into my internship in the second year that we started it. And he set and he sowed a seed that changed my life forever. I want to thank you. Thank you for the work that you do in Transform Cambodia. I know the work. I've seen the work. And I honour the fact that not only do you do that in a nation like Cambodia, I hear the amazing things you do in Mandra. I think Mandra is blessed to have you. So I want to honour you and I thank you. Is that okay? Do you mind if I pray and we get ready to share the word? Yeah? Father God, I thank you that you have called us, you have set us apart. I thank you that you have a destiny for each and every one of us to fulfill in you. And I just ask right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would hear the call that you have on our lives, individually and corporately. That you would call us up, call us out, shape us and mould us in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. I'm so honored to be here today. I'm sorry I'm not Pastor Claude. Uh, but like I said, I make things up as I go. And I heard that you're in a series called Flawed. And uh, I, I don't think there could have been a better series for me to uh, uh, skydive into. I, I love what you're digging into with uh, Rahab last week, I believe. And you're looking at different Old Testament people. And I wanted to bring to you a thought today along somebody who just sticks out to me. Every time I go to the scriptures, the account of this one person that I can't stop going back to because I see so much of this person's life and how God wants to use us, shape us and transform us. And that is in the life of a man named Simon. Can you say Simon? Simon. We pick up the account in the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. It says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And it says they immediately left their nets. I've got to say that again. They immediately, they didn't hesitate. They didn't wait. They didn't go and ask somebody for permission. They immediately left their nets 
and followed him. This man Simon sticks out to me because the moment we first meet him in Scripture, one of the first things that we can see about him is that he's somebody that wasn't good enough. I know reading that Scripture, you may not see that so easily, but it's something that in the culture of the day, for this man Simon and his brother to be fishermen, actually meant that they weren't good enough for the culture that they were brought up in. See, at the time of Jesus... Every young man wanted to be a rabbi. A rabbi was just a Jewish term for a teacher. It was a teacher of God's law. But their purpose was to travel around and instruct people how to know the living God and live for Him. It was like the most important role. These were the superstars of the culture. And every young Jewish boy wanted to be a rabbi. And in fact, they were all given the opportunity. So you're born and you'd go to school and you'd be taught God's law so much so that you would memorize the first few books of the Bible. But the thing is that as you went along, if you proved yourself diligent enough, gifted enough, good enough, then what would happen is when you came to a perfect age, a rabbi would come and observe you in action. And if you were good enough, they would say to you, come follow me. And that's such a loaded term. It didn't mean come and walk behind me. What it actually meant was that you can come and be just like me. That's what they meant when they said, come follow me. When they said, a rabbi to you, come follow me. The rabbi was picking you out of the crowd and say, you have what is in you to be as good as me, if not better. And so when a boy would get this, they would leave everything behind and go and become a rabbi. And so we pick up this account about a flawed person named Simon who is not a rabbi. He's a fisherman. And he's a fisherman because for some reason he was not picked. He was not good enough. It's interesting that Jesus, when he chose his first followers, went to those people that had been rejected. He chose the tax collector. He even chose a terrorist and he chose a fisherman who'd been neglected, forgotten and now was trying to make his own way. Jesus works with flawed people. Jesus meets us where we're at so that he can call us out to be who he sees us to be. And when he said to them, follow me, They knew immediately he was saying, I can come and be just like him. This guy, Simon, takes hold of this new journey, leaves the old way behind. He's the guy who gets out of a boat after he sees Jesus walking on the water and steps out and starts doing it himself. Now, he doesn't end up standing like Jesus, ends up starting to sink and Jesus had to pull him up, but at least he had the guts to get out of the boat. This guy, Simon, is a guy who was invited by Jesus to see Jesus transfigured on a mountain, to see Jesus in all His glory. This guy, Simon, was invited by Jesus to even see people raised from the dead. This guy, Simon, was invited into a new life, an amazing life, a life where he could participate and be a part of. But this guy, Simon, was flawed. 
See, the most well-known account about this guy named Simon usually comes out of the book of Matthew chapter 16 where we see that the disciples are walking along and they're talking about Jesus. And Jesus says to them, well, who do people say that I am? And some people say, well, you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. You're the reincarnated prophet Elijah. You're this, you're that. And Simon, who was about to have his name changed, turns around to Jesus and says, you're none of those things. Instead, you are the saviour of the world the one we've been waiting for. Jesus takes hold of this and says, before you were called Simon, but now I call you Peter. That seems like a strange thing. I don't know if many of you have had your name changed on you. Back where I come from, I was known as Foz. Nobody knew me as Chris. And so coming over here to be called Chris, I had to relearn my name again. In Cambodia, I was called Yet. Yet means giant because I was much taller than everybody. And so I've had some different names along the way. But this guy, Simon, has his name changed not by anybody else, but by God. Why? Well, the name Simon means to hear. It means to listen. And one of the things that you pick up when you read about Simon throughout the Gospels is that Simon was very attentive to whoever was dominantly speaking into his life. If he was close to Jesus, he was strong. But see, Simon had an ear to hear what other people thought about him and about Jesus. And often we see Simon putting his foot in his mouth because he was so concerned about what other people thought and what other people expected of him that he was flawed. See, Simon had a gift. He could listen But in his listening, he was tossed to and fro by the opinions of others. He had no firmness to himself. And so Jesus takes this Simon and he renames him Rock. In the past where you were tossed to and fro, now you're going to be firm, strong, immovable on the confession of who I really am. And it'd be amazing if the story ended there. In fact, I'd love it if the story ended there, but it doesn't. It doesn't because what goes on is that the night that Jesus is captured and he's put on trial and he's being led towards the moment where he will be crucified and he will lay down his life, that Peter, who was Simon, the rock who used to listen to everybody else's opinion, is now in a scenario where Jesus, the man that said, follow me and be like me, is on trial and he stands at a distance holding back. And on three separate occasions, people come to him and say, aren't you one who follows Jesus? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And he denies Jesus three times. Peter was flawed. He's so flawed, in fact, that not long after this, He ends up abandoning his call and he goes back to his old life as a fisherman. Whenever I read the account of Peter, I read about myself. See, when my wife and I first felt the call to Cambodia, we were living in a small country town in New South Wales called Kempsey. We were volunteer youth pastors at the time and had been doing it for about six years. And the only job I could get in Kempsey was at the McDonald's restaurant. Because the most famous thing about Kempsey was that it was in between Sydney and Brisbane and it was a good place to stop and have a feed. It was the only job I could get. And at every moment I worked there, I felt like I was in exile. 
Because all I wanted to do was to go out and work and serve and minister to people, go into the schools, reach people. The moment I met Jesus when I was 16 years old, I was radically transformed so much that I just wanted people to know Jesus like I knew Him. And I thought it was crazy that God would lock me into this job. And so when we first heard the call to Cambodia, my wife and I set foot in Cambodia for the first time on a short-term missions trip and both at the same time felt God say to us, you've come home. We both looked to each other, held each other's hand and said, well, we feel like we've come home. But it took two years to make that call a reality. And I remember working at McDonald's for those two years and complaining and whinging and crying out to God, hiding in the freezer, punching the fry bags and saying, God, why won't you release us to go? Until we were finally released. We were released with four suitcases, all the possessions we had then in the world to start a new life in Cambodia. And you think, that's amazing, the story it's fantastic, but it doesn't end there because the moment the honeymoon starts to wear off and the pressure starts to hit and the reality of life takes its toll, I started to daydream about going back to McDonald's and being a McDonald's store manager again. Why? Because I'm just as flawed as Peter. I'm just as flawed as Peter. But see, Peter's story didn't end with him going back to fishing and staying there. It says in the book of John, chapter 21, verse 15 to 17, Jesus has just rocked up to the shore of Galilee and he's cooked breakfast for the men that are out fishing. And one of them happens to be Peter on the boat. And he sees that it's Jesus. He dives off, he swims to shore. He's amazed that Jesus himself, resurrected from the dead, has come to meet with him. So we pick up the account, John chapter 21, 15 to 17. So when they had eaten breakfast, who would love a breakfast cooked by Jesus? Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He, Simon, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. So I want to say to you today, just because we're flawed, don't surrender your call. Just because we're flawed, don't surrender your call. Here's the account of Simon, the one who listens to others' opinion and is bent to and fro by them, who has his name changed to rock so that he would be firm in his confession of Jesus and allow the church to be built on that confession Here's this rock who is not living like a rock. He's gone back to living like one who listens to others. And Jesus meets him where he's at, cooks him a meal, sits down with him. And for every time that Simon Peter denied Jesus, Jesus, one, two, three, reinstalls him. 
so that he could fulfill the call that Jesus originally put on his life when he said to him, come, follow me. And I want to say to you today that even though we are flawed, do not surrender your call. See, maybe you've been like me and you know that there's a call of God on your life and the moment you start to press in and start to enter in and you start to do it and you start to think, well, because I'm in the call of God, everything is going to go perfect now. It doesn't because we're in a fallen world. We're in a fallen world where we need to bring heaven to earth by occupation, by our prayer, by our intentionality, by our ability to press in and say, no matter what happens, I'm not going to be rocked to and throw. Just because we're flawed doesn't mean we should surrender our call. What a challenge it is to say when the pressure comes, Lord, make me a rock that is immovable, unshakable, unwilling to let go. And so the good news about this man named Peter is that from that moment on, he started to live out of his new identity. I'm not saying he wasn't flawed still, but that part of the flaw that held him back from his call stopped controlling him. And he started to enter in to the call that God had for his life. So much so that he is the one who preached the first message at the first local church in Jerusalem. After the Holy Spirit fills everybody in the book of Acts chapter 2, he gets up in front of everybody and preaches a message that maybe lasted five minutes if he was lucky. Would have been a YouTube sensation. And everybody who heard the message on that day in Jerusalem by a fisherman from the Sea of Galilee, somebody who was not good enough, but was chosen and set apart by Jesus, when they heard this message, the Bible says 3,000 responded to the call of Christ. Somebody not good enough responded to the call of Jesus to say, you make me good, even when I don't feel it. And out of obedience leads people to a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't stop there, it goes on. In the book of Acts chapter 3, it talks about an account where Peter is going to the temple to pray with John. And as he's going to the temple and he's passing one of the gates, he sees a man who was lame from birth. And I don't know about you, especially those who have been to Cambodia, you see this often on the street in certain parts of the world. People who are suffering through extreme disability and hardship, who are left with nothing else to do but to ask for help. A handout. Because they live in a part of the world where they are not provided with anything else. And so they come past this man, lame from birth, who is holding out his hands and he's saying, please help me. And what he's asking for very specifically is money. I need to eat just like you. I need provision just like you. Please help me. And this man who was called Simon, who used to listen to the voice of the crowd and wasn't able to live out of faith, who is now Peter, who lives out of the conviction of who Jesus is and that he can be like Jesus, stops what he's doing. And he looks at this man who was lame from birth. And he says to this man lame from birth in Acts chapter 3, look at me. Look at me. Which implies immediately that this person lame from birth didn't even have the confidence to look up while they were begging for help. Look at me. I sort of imagine Peter getting down on his level. And he says, silver and gold I have not. Silver and gold I have not. 
How easy it is to be presented with situations and circumstances and the moment we see them to start thinking, well, I can't possibly help because I don't have what they need. How easy is it to go past situations and circumstances and think, I wish I could help, but I don't have what they need, so I better just move on quickly. The one who was called Simon, now called Peter, stops and says, look at me. The beggar looks up and he says to him, silver and gold I have not. And you think the conversation ends there and he walks on as a way of explaining why he can't help him. But he stops and says, silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, stand up and be well. Silver and gold I have not, but what I do have I give you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, stand up and be well. And it says that he pulled him up and his legs were made right. And the power of God was released over a circumstance and a situation that had no hope, no purpose and was filled with lack. So I want to say to you, not only are we flawed, but we should not surrender our call. Not only are we flawed, I want to say, but we should not accept limitations. Because the power of God wants to work in and through us to not only meet the needs of those around us, but to set them on a course where they can live out of the divine destiny that God has for them. People are set apart. But how easy is it to live out of that flawed mentality where we think of our limitations more than anything else? My little boy, Liam, he's eight years old. He's what you would call a third culture kid. He grew up in Cambodia. When we moved here, he spoke with an American accent because all the Cambodians speak English with an American accent. Spoke Khmer. That was a huge transition for him. And I remember a few years ago, we're walking along in Rockingham, the main shops there. And outside there was a lady who was laying down. And she looked like she was laying down and had been laying down all day. She had nothing with her. And I got to tell you the truth, as I'm walking along, I'm thinking because of the way I'm wired, what we have to go into the shops and do, because I have this gift of forgetting. My wife tells me to go pick something up and I come home and maybe I've got 20% of what she said and everything else that I wanted, which doesn't help us. And as we're coming along, I'm running through my mind. What do we need? What do we need? What do we need? And I didn't even notice this lady. My little boy, this third culture kid, grabs my hand and says, what happened, Dad? I have no idea what happened, son. I have no idea. Can't we do something? What do you want to do? Can we buy this person a meal and a drink? So I gave him my credit card and I said, don't go buy a new Xbox. <laughs> we go in to Coles. He buys food, water, takes it out, kneels down next to this person and gives it to them. He has no credit card. He has no money. I can barely get him to do his chores. How easy it is to be pre presented with circumstances and situations and think of the limitations in front of us. But instead, what if we responded with the love of God? We may be flawed, but please don't accept limitations. Because Jesus 
works through you. We may be flawed. Don't surrender our calling. We may be flawed. Don't accept limitations. My last thought, if I can invite the team to come and join me. Just because we're flawed doesn't mean we're not chosen. Could I read you a letter that this guy who was Simon, who is now Peter, wrote to the early churches? He wrote this himself. The one who was tossed to and throw by other people's opinion, who didn't have the guts to stand with Jesus in his time of need. It even says before Jesus was arrested that Jesus went to a place to pray because he knew what was facing him and he invited Peter among a few others to come and be with him. And Jesus is shocked to find that they weren't even able to stay up for an hour and pray with him. Talk about somebody who's flawed. But this flawed person who has an encounter with Jesus that restores him and sets him apart and calls him out from the places that he was trying to hide ends up penning a letter later on in his life to churches that had been established because he had the guts to stand up on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem and with untrained, uneducated words lead 3,000 people to faith in Jesus. And he writes this letter, his first letter, 1 Peter, it's called, chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, but you, can you say you? Say it one more time, you. One more time, you. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. That you, you, you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you. He called you out of darkness into His marvellous light. Who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have attained mercy. Just because you're flawed doesn't mean you're not chosen. You have been chosen by Jesus Himself. And He says to you exactly what He says to Peter. I don't care what has led to this moment where you think you're not good enough. But He says to each and every one of us, come follow me. For every single one of us who have lived our lives thinking, I don't measure up, just being able to hear those words in our heart sets us apart. So we know I'm not a failure, even though I'm flawed. I'm not a mistake, even though I don't get it all the time. I'm thankful that in grace, God has chosen us to be His representatives of His love in the world today. You're called. The moment I met Jesus, it destroyed my life in a good way. So I was 16 years old My dad was an ambulance officer and him and I did not get along. So I didn't understand that dad was suffering with post-traumatic stress from some of the things that he'd seen. 
And in the lead up to my 16th birthday, he was going to crash sites and seeing young people in crashes and seeing my face on them. And he wasn't able to explain this. Instead, he'd come home and lock himself in his room for days on end. And I always thought that the reason why dad didn't want anything to do with me was because there was something wrong with me. And so I thought, well, if I can just keep the house clean, if I can just mow the lawn, if I can just do the right thing, when he walks in the door, he'll want to know me. But no matter what I did, it didn't make a difference because he was flawed. And he didn't even know it. And so was I. And so the only Christians that we knew in our entire life had been friends of mum and dad for seven years. But they had this standing rule. Dad has said, if you talk about Jesus, I'm going to clock you. And my dad is all of six foot three and he has hands like Gandalf the Grey from Lord of the Rings. I think he could destroy somebody with that. So they had this rule. And so instead they prayed for us as a family for seven years, seven years, seven years. Could you imagine praying for somebody for seven years in the hope that they would start a conversation with you that would lead to them knowing Jesus like you know Jesus? And I'm so grateful for that family, Andrew and Janet Greenwood from Fredericton, New South Wales, who prayed for us for seven years. They weren't ministers, they weren't preachers. They were a family that welcomed us with love and hospitality. Allowed my dad to drop the odd F-bomb without telling him to shut up. And I remember my dad broke down in front of them for the first time ever and they said, Bill, you need help. So they set up free counselling with a counsellor. Dad had no idea it was the local pastor. So you can be sneaky. Lord doesn't mean you're not sneaky. For four sessions dad had with this pastor, who he thought was a counsellor. They didn't talk anything about Jesus. They just talked about moving forward in life. Even though you're broken doesn't mean you need to be held back. Until dad finally got the gist together that the reason why this counsellor was so wise was because he had known Jesus. My dad, who was a committed scientific atheist, said to him, I don't know if God's real, but I'd like to try him out and ask him into my life. That day, the pastor led my dad in a simple prayer to receive Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. My dad goes home. He's sitting with my mum on the veranda when my brother and I get home from school. We get off the bus. I have 700 mils of Jim Bean in my backpack because I was the kid at school that when you wanted alcohol, I could get it for you. I don't do that anymore. I'm thankful that we have the youth out there. I come home and there's dad crying on the porch and I've never seen him cry in my entire life. I said, what has happened to you? He said, son, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I've given my life to Jesus. And I stop and I look at him and I say, yes, I think you're crazy. What a stupid thing to do. But I watched him all night. My dad was not perfect, flawed, but starting to learn that he was somebody else that God had called him to be. I could see the change 
even though he just prayed that prayer that day. And so when everybody else was in bed, I knelt down at the end of my bed because the only person I'd ever seen pray in my entire life was Big Dog on TV. And he knelt on his bed and held his hands up like this. And so I did that thinking that's what you had to do to get God to hear you. And I said, Jesus, if you are real, will you do to me what you did to my dad? If you are real. And in that moment, It was as if Jesus walked into my room, knelt down with me on my bed and gave me a hug. And I don't know how long I cried for. I don't know how long I cried for. I met Jesus while I was stuffed up, broken, damaged, lost. And you know what? 20 odd years down the line, I'm still on the journey of transformation. But the good news is, even though I'm flawed, I'm called. Even though I'm flawed, I'm not limited. Even though I'm flawed, I'm chosen. And the same goes for every single person in this room. And so I want to ask you now, if you could help me. I want to ask the most important question I could possibly ask. And I ask this with all sincerity and with as much love as I can muster up right now. Where are you with your relationship with Jesus? Have you ever taken the time to acknowledge that you need Jesus? And if you haven't, in a moment, I want to lead you in a prayer if you're willing to respond. A prayer like the prayer that I prayed so that you can encounter the love of God so I, the way I encountered Him. Or maybe you've been following Jesus, but things have gotten old, dry and cold. Maybe you've even forgotten your calling. Yeah, I know in this room, There are people who are called to be like Andrew and Janet Greenwood. You know God has called you by your hospitality, with your love, to see people transformed and changed. And you know God is calling you to step back into that. So I'd love to ask if you're willing, could you close your eyes? To give the person to the left and the right of you privacy. To zero in on your own walk with Jesus. And I want to ask you a very simple question. Even though you're flawed, do you know that you're loved? Even though you're flawed, do you know that you're loved? After the count of three, I'm going to ask anybody here in this room who would like to dedicate their life to Jesus, if they could do me one huge favour and raise their hand strong and high. While all eyes are shut, Everybody here under the sound of my voice. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Thank you. I've got one here at the front. You can put down your hand. Thank you so much. At the back, thank you. At the back in the middle here, thank you. That's three people so far. Over at the side, thank you so much. Four people. So, so good. So, so good. This is why we do it, so that we can encounter Jesus together and be transformed by Him. You can put down your hand. I want to ask you if you could all open your eyes and do me one last favour. Would you be willing to pray this prayer with me on behalf of those four people that have raised their hand? Would that be okay? Can we say this together? Father God, thank you that you love me so much that you sent your son to pay the price I could not pay. Thank you for Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. And I ask that you would set me apart 
to know You, experience You, and live for You all the days of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. So, so good. Fantastic. I love it. You know, I, I want to hand the service over, but I, I'm happy to hang around. If any of you who raised your hand would love for somebody to pray with you, or if I could pray with you myself, please come to the front once I get down. Or if anybody here, you know God has called you to something, and for whatever reason, it's been surrendered along the way. I believe today is a day to take hold of all that of which Christ Jesus has taken hold of you. And I believe today is a day of restoration. God bless you. I love you. You're amazing.